Welcome to the All Digital AM podcast. This episode originally aired as a video on the All Digital AM YouTube channel. My name is Adam Penna. I'm here to continue the conversation of 3D printing and additive manufacturing. Happy to be here today with Lee Bath Nelson. And uh, she is uh, joining us from Leo Lane, which she's the co-founder of VP of, of business at Leo Lane. And uh, she's been there since 2013. So welcome, Lee. And uh, it's been great talking to you. I know I wanted to jump into a bit more about what you were talking about there because your particular software, Leo Lane, if you could describe a little bit more about what that does, because I could read from the website, it says control the quality and quantity of your additively manufactured parts and products. And there's so much going on with inside of that. So talk a little bit about that and, and what the software has been built up to do over these years and where it is now. Sure, Adam. First of all, thanks for having me and inviting me for this nice chat. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really lovely. Um and so let me tell you a little bit about the background for Leo Lane. You know that additive manufacturing has come a long way. It used to be 3D printing, used for prototyping, and now it's come up to production, end parts, serial parts. And when you get to this commercial stage, you really have to make sure that you're a manufacturing technology. And that means that you're repeatable, that mm-hmm. you're consistent, that you're secure because you don't want your digital IP to leak or be stolen. And that everything is tracked and monitored. And that's exactly what Leo Lane does. We offer a software as a service solution. So Mm -hmm. it's cloud, SaaS, exactly. Um, And it allows you to protect your know-how, your IP, your uh, digital assets. But it also allows you to enforce everything that you think is important for a correct item so that Nobody, whether on purpose or inadvertently, will create a faulty product or a product that's off spec. Now, that's important for any product because it's the brand reputation, but it's especially important for any product that's certified in any way, internally, externally, what have you. And because we also offer real-time tracking, you can actually show when, where, and how each individual item was produced. So these are all things that you need. And I think that, as you said, COVID brought this to the spotlight because, you know, it's no longer a matter of having, you know, the expert next to the machine 20 every time it works, that that's not going to happen even in-house. Even if you have all the experts in-house, you won't be able to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't even think in the new normal, whatever that will be, you'll be able to do that. Do you really need a way to automatically enforce all of that expertise that the expert has poured into your digital item, your digital asset, virtual inventory, digital supply chain? There are different monikers for it, but it's all the same thing. If you secure it and enforce it, then you can really get a repeatable manufacturing technology. And that's what all of us essentially want to be a boring manufacturing technology. If we do sure. that, then reliably we boring. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's awesome. And I know you brought up a lot of uh, points there. Uh, one thing, you know, it sounds a little um, familiar to me also with the distributed kind of setup uh, with data. Um, now is, is it anything close to blockchain or using any of that technology or something totally different? Uh, it's totally different. Okay. Uh, blockchain is very good for, um, you know, documents and for um, um, authenticating a piece of data. But 
when you're on a blockchain, you have to do the the basics of blockchain is doing uh, distribution. A ledger, consensus. yeah. The, the ledger is basically done through steps of consensus through everybody on the on the network. Now imagine if a 3D printer had to be on the network and had to continuously give CPU cycles to doing mm. consensus. Mm. Wouldn't get very much printed. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's good for the records. It's good, but if you want to really control the entire process and and don't forget the 3D printing files are huge. Yes, they are. So you don't want to put that on a ledger. No. Definitely don't want to put that on a ledger. So you have you can use blockchain as an augmentation and we can work with blockchain as an added layer, but blockchain can't uh, do what we do. It can, first of all, it can never do enforcement because you have to actively access the blockchain, the ledger, in order to check what's on it. So, and what we're doing is the opposite. We're enforcing. We're forcing the printer to either do the right thing or not print at all. Or if you're in earlier steps in the workflow, same thing. If you're trying to nest something, so put many items on the bed and nesting, yep. and you're not doing it right. Uh, we won't let you if this is what the owner said needs to be done. So every single step will be enforced based on what the owner thinks is the best thing for their product. And that's kind of the reverse direction of the ledger. The ledger is I got a product and I want to verify that it really came from Ford. Yeah. So I can have a little uh serial number on it and i can check on the ledger that ford actually put that on the ledger yep so that's really good but if i'm ford and i want to make sure that every time this thing is manufactured it's manufactured correctly the ledger will not help me yeah so talk about that part right there how do you when you're working with distributed manufacturing you could say have you know like we're talking about our our different locations you have one machine in israel and you have one machine here in texas okay mm-hmm. You could make the print say, you know, it's the same, you know, SLS machine and you want to print, you know, the same company machine here as there. Mm -hmm. But we all know there's a lot of other things that go into that, you know, the material prepping, everything that goes, even the operator who's actually running it. Um, So all those things, how are they controlled inside of that process, especially since it's distributed in two different points? I'm just curious about that. So, so there are two things that, that I should say about that. The first one is some of the parameters that are key mm-hmm. are actually different for Texas and for Israel. For example, for some materials, humidity is a big factor. Yep. So if Good point. Israel is more humid than Texas, which I think it is. Yeah, sure. It is. Yeah. Slightly, slightly different uh, settings. So you yep. must allow the machine operator to to adjust those settings. That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, when you look at uh, at your item and in the end you want it to print correctly, uh, you, the owner, will decide what's important and will enforce it. So, for example, if it's an item that's going to be printed in nylon and SLS technology, mm-hmm. okay, there are a bunch of SLS printers. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't care. So I, I own... So, for example, oh, here. Well, no, actually, my my ring today. I'll show you. Like, oh, printed. See, one nice. metal, one plastic, but the plastic yeah. is MJF. But you know, I have some uh, SLS earrings, for example. Sure. They don't care what machine it's on. 
If it's SLS, it's nylon, and it's a certain resolution, who cares? But if you're doing a part for a car, for example, you may want to specify the model of the machine. Yes. Okay. And also, you may want to specify a particular machine that you've certified, one in Austin and one in, in Israel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one in Texas, one in Israel. And you can make that clear in your specification for the item in the LEO. LEO stands for Limited Edition Object. Ah, and we you. make sure that that actually happens. So if somebody tries by mistake in text, I'm in Israel, I sent it to you and somebody by mistake put it on the wrong machine, it won't print. Mm. So you save the human error, you save the mix-ups, you save the fact that, you know, somebody just printed something else on that machine and they forgot to change the settings. All of that is eliminated. And also you eliminate a lot of the malicious stuff if there's any of that going around. Yeah, sure. Um, and so it really lowers the error rate uh, by a lot. Yeah. Now, some errors we can't handle. We always say, and this is kind of the gist of this second part, whatever software can control, we control. Whatever is not controlled by software, we can't control. So if you're... Um, machine is not aware of the material that's loaded to it and there are machines like that then we can't you know and and if the owner will say it has to be this material we ask the machine do you know what material you have and it says no we won't enable printing Hmm. so it's it's only what you can control now about the operator there are several machines that have defined um uh it's called degree of expertise of the ah. operator. So they yeah. have a regular operator, they have an expert, and they have like a super admin user or whatever. And you can specify which kind of operator you want to handle your part. If you think it's very, you know, it's like a metal part, super sure. sensitive, and, you know, you need an expert at all times, and, and you'll have to pay a premium probably for that. Mm-hmm. But you can make sure that that actually happens and you didn't pay a premium and then had somebody that doesn't know what they're doing print your your part. So all of these things, again, it's up to the owner to decide what's important for them. If it's not important, then great, you know, (laughs) whatever you want. But if, if, if they find out that something is important, and by the way, this can evolve over time. You can start off saying, okay, all I care about is that it's, um, I don't know, uh, um, SLM metal uh, titanium. Okay, that's all I care about. But then you find out, well, actually, I also care about how they nested it. I don't want it in the corner. I don't want it next to something big. I don't, you know, and then you say, okay, yeah, but also, you know, there are different bed sizes and the bigger beds, they don't tend to do this. So I want a small bed. So now it's a different model. So you can evolve what your understanding is. Every time something doesn't go the way you you expect it to, you can say, okay, wait a minute, I need to add a restriction. Mm. And you can add it as you go. And of course, with all of this, you can also restrict the quantities, which means that, you know, if you allowed somebody to print three, they won't print 30. And we all know that there have been times where, you know, companies have seen their parts all of a sudden in places that where they weren't supposed to be. No, that's, that's a great point. No, you're absolutely right. Being able to lay a whole, 
whole bunch of them out on a bed isn't good if you're trying to you know keep it a proprietary part. You don't want exactly. twenty of them laying around just because somebody decided to print a whole bunch of well, them. Well, somebody yeah. said it's usually a compliment because yeah. usually it's because somebody said, "Wow, that's really cool. I want one too." Yeah, uh, they don't even know what it is, but they put it in their drawer and. But, but it's it's not right to do that. No. They don't mean normally. There are some people that have malicious intents, but most people do not. Sure. It's not a it's not a malicious kind of thing. It's just just they, they thought it was cool. Right. So they printed another one, or you know, especially if somebody gets a hold of the digital asset itself, if it's not secured and protected, and it ends up on Thingiverse. Mm. that's a genie out of the bottle. It's not coming back in the bottle. Mm-hmm. There's no way, even if you take it off of Thingiverse, if anybody already downloaded it from there, that's it. You'll find it next thing on another site and on another site. It's a, it's a, it's a endless pursuit after, you know, to have them take it down and, and you, you've lost control completely. While as if your, if your asset is protected, then even if somebody got it, they can print it a certain number of times and, and that's it. They can't do anything else with it. Gotcha. Even if they post it on some share site, all of the files that they posted everywhere together can only do that set number of parts, three or whatever. So the damage is very, very minimal. Yeah. Kind of similar to the physical inventory. This is one of the things that I talk about um, when I talk about digital inventory. Is, is exactly that, that in physical inventory, if somebody steals a shoe, a pair of shoes, hopefully, it, it, you lost one pair of shoes. Yeah. But if, if they stole the digital asset for a shoe, they can open a factory. And yep. then the economic damage is not so bounded. Yeah, so, that's major. Good point yeah. on that. So, so you brought up something that I had, was curious about too, because I see a huge value in, in what you're what you're talking about, obviously with Leo Lane here. Now, so what my understanding would be if I had that, uh, say, I created the file, it's my intellectual property, and I say yes, you know, you have the permission over there to print this file over in Israel, right? And then, like you're saying, at that point, when they have all that information over there, they're able to print. And one of my stipulations might be inside of there, like you're saying, this has to be a, you know, advanced user that prints this. Say they don't have that on that side. Would you get that feedback a loop and saying all these conditions are met except for this one or this one? And then do you have the option to say go ahead or go or no go at that point? Is there that feedback loop inside of there? So there is a sort of feedback loop. It's not exactly the way that you mentioned it, but normally it would refuse to the operator mm-hmm. and it would tell the operator why. Why? That's so all. It would, yeah. yeah. So it would say to the operator, you're, you're not allowed to handle this for mm-hmm. your example. And, and they then the operator why. No. will pick up the phone to whoever sent them or send them an email or whatever or sent them the file and said, I, I couldn't do it. So, and it said, I'm not an expert and I'm, I'm not an expert, so I can't do it. So are you going to let me do it? Or do you want to go somewhere else where there's an expert? That's, and again, that's the owner's choice. So now the right. owner has to decide if it really is crucial that it's an expert. And then he's going to say, thank you for, for telling me and I'll go elsewhere. Yeah. Or if he says, okay, you know, I, yeah, this guy is an expert, but I think he's good enough. So for, he can say that in the Leo for this service provider, 
he's good to go. He's been approved so, or they've been approved. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. and, and you can, and, and then he would only have to update um, his settings. And in fact, he can create new uh, digital assets and even not have to send the file again. So mm. you can attribute those assets to this file. And that's really important because these files are kind of heavy. And having to move them from place to place is a pain and, and a lot can go wrong and, and all these things. So it's a good thing that whatever the service provider has can be replenishable remotely without having to move all of this huge amount of data. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. I think that's very interesting and obviously very useful. Uh, there's a lot of great things that, that actually makes secure for what's going on. I know there's a lot of issues with intellectual property, you know, sharing things like you're saying, they could end up in the wrong hands and be a bunch of uh, extra stuff printed out. You'd never want it to be uh, somewhere else. There's so many things that go into the, the material selection, um, you know, like you were saying, what machine you're using, you know, the user that actually is behind the machine. There's a lot of know-how. Yeah. I mean, it's- how long have you been in the additive ecosystem. Yeah. yeah, Wow. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but probably since the late nineties, I've been looking at 3d printers and getting into the added side. Uh, I'd go more on the 20 side. You know, I was, I was more of an engineer that was working in CAD for the first 10 years, you know, so. uh, Imagine all the know-how you've gathered. Yeah. yeah. And now you, you want to use this know-how. You don't want it to leak out just because you created something with it. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to, you don't want to have to tell everybody everything that you figured out over the 20 plus years and have, that's also something that needs to be protected. Yeah. But you still want them to to print it correctly. So somebody has to enforce that without revealing it. Mm -hmm. And that's where we come in. So it's also good for experts. So if you're consulting or if you're a service provider and you're giving a lot of knowledge to your customers, but, you know, legitimately, you don't want them to take that knowledge and then do a bidding process and go print the quantities at somebody else's with the knowledge that you've shared with them. And so what we allow is all of this collaboration in a secured way so that the information or the know-how that comes from the service provider will only apply when you print at the service provider. Gotcha. And that's something that the service provider uh, is very interested in because it, it maintains their know-how. And similarly for consultants, you know, consultants a lot of time have a hard time, uh, you know, with building arrangements with companies because companies don't know, is it, is it going to work this part or is it not going to work? So if it does work, they're happy to pay by per part. But then how does the consultant know how many parts they printed. I mean, they're not going to open their books to him, right? Yeah, yeah. But we know. And so, you know, if the consultant shares their expertise securely, he can also know, he or she, you know, what it was, how many times it was used for. They may not know what for. They may not know the details because that belongs to the company that they consulted to. Yeah, yeah. But they can know that their secret sauce was used without revealing it and and how many times you know, stuff like that. And so they can have a billing arrangement, not through us, you know, through them, yeah. but oh, using so. this, this information. So it's really something that gives a better way for the whole ecosystem 
to uh, collaborate securely, so not be afraid of it. And you don't have to do a joint venture or a big partnership agreement to do it. And it really helps things move along faster if, you, if there's an easy way to do this. Yes. And this is actually some of the, you know, the, the more advanced stuff that we offer. Yeah, that's protecting, you know, intellectual property, but also, like you're saying, being able to track what happens with that intellectual property, yeah. because that's what you don't know is what's being done with it. And, and that's what Leo Lane does. So that's really useful. And then you talked about that being part of the digital value chain and really kind of looking at what's going on with the controlling and protecting of the files and, and everything that they have out there. I mean, parameters, I'm sure that's a big part of it. You know, people make their own parameters and a lot of, uh, you know, like you were saying, a lot of contract manufacturers or service providers have that information. They just don't want to hand over to these guys because then they'll yeah. know their exact recipe all the time. So exactly. It controls all that. That's is, awesome. It's a very apt word. That's exactly what we use to describe these capsules of know-how. We call them recipes. Gotcha. Um, yeah, cool. So you can have like a Leo recipe come from a different place than the part came. But when it's printed, all the information is, is put to work correctly and at the right time in the workflow. Yep. No, big, that's big, big part of it. I mean, obviously, uh, that's what people are trying to hold back and not give out. But if you could secure it, uh, that opens up so many things. Like you're saying, the transparency side of it is right there and exactly. you're protecting the transparency at the same time. That's a, that's beautiful. Exactly. You know? It's, yeah. it's actually gives you the best of breed without revealing it. Yep. Um, which, which is a nice thing. And the other thing it gives you is it gives you automation that so the expert doesn't physically have to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order for things to, to proceed correctly. And uh, these days, uh, that's very important when a lot of people are working from home, mm-hmm. as you are and yep. as I am most days. Yeah, yeah. No, it's huge. That's a, And then, yeah. like I said, that's a lot of the positivity pushing forward right now. Unfortunately, the pandemic is here, but it's pushing these things forward and showing their use and, and putting them into application a lot more. So it's got to be exciting right now. How, how have things been for Leo Lane over the pandemic? Have you been switching things up or what's been going well, on there? Yes. I think, I think um, as I said, that there has been, this pandemic did push the point across that supply chains have been failing. Mm. They've been failing before the pandemic, but also now. And so moving to a digital supply chain with additive manufacturing is much more front and center than it was nine months ago, mm-hmm. unbelievably more. Uh, and of course, if you move to a digital supply chain, you have to secure your supply chain and your, and your every industry. step of the way. It's irresponsible yeah. not to. And, and no CIO, CSO, any C type person, CFO, mm-hmm. CEO will allow you to do it without security because it's too dangerous. The mm-hmm. risks are, are too huge. You have to mitigate them. Um, so that has brought us some inquiries from all over the world and, uh, and from very large companies that we weren't in contact with before the pandemic. So that was really awesome yeah uh, the flip side is that a lot of people are are working from home and they're not next to the the printers a lot so there yeah. are some things that have been hindered by that so it's a mixed bag it's mm. not a straight you know wow i mean i was wowed i i thought we would be just sitting here you know sipping margaritas or whatever <laughs> the dream it's the dream right yeah. because everybody's home And uh, I have to tell you, I haven't traveled in seven months now. Mm. Um, And that is 
by far the largest, the, the longest period I've ever been in Israel since I started working many, 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 many years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's a different world. And I really thought that we wouldn't be able to push things forward as, um, as much as we can. And so I was positively surprised afterwards, but I started off with a very gloomy outlook. Mm -hmm. So I think that this mixed bag kind of um, balanced it out in, in a way, but it's different. It's yeah. not the same as it was. I mean, just thinking about no form next this year, I mean, there's form next connect, which is virtual. But it's not the same. No. We used to do so much business at Formnext. Yeah. Um, and and there won't be any Formnext this year. It's unfathomable almost. It um, is, yeah. So so I think that these kinds of things, it's a mixed bag. You can't say that it's all positive, but it's certainly not all negative. It's I would even say it's mostly positive, but not all. So... Yep. You got to focus on the right things there. And I know that that's uh, everyone's going through thinking about what they can do going forward and how this has changed things. And how do you see that? I mean, have you, have you felt that, that this duality or, or do you see one side more than the other? No, that's a great question. I feel like, and it's, it's, it's about the same for me. I, I feel like there's the two sides of it, you know, and the more I focus on one, the, the larger it can get, you know, and so maybe there's that old adage of which dog do you feed, you know, uh, the good dog or the bad dog. It's like, do I give into the negativity or do I look at the positivity? And I, I think we've been very lucky, obviously, just on in our industry, 3D printing and additive manufacturing in general has had a lot of hope. Manufacturing has had a lot of hope in, for what's going on with our future. So that's where I start to focus on things. And I get feedback, you know, even from a lot of these associations that are doing the trade shows this year that have had to switch to virtual. They're still, you know, they're still on the 50-50 side with next year. You know, they're planning for it. But of course, you know, you're not quite sure. So you have to have that backup of also understanding the virtual interactions and going through with some of that. So I think there's hope for next year with some of these trade shows, obviously, going through this season and seeing how things Yep, yeah, that's a big one. SME, you know, I've been talking to them a bit, too. And there's a lot going on with them that's very interesting. They're they're ramping up what they're going to be doing next year. So there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of positivity positivity in there but there is a lot of uncertainty for everybody you know yeah, and, and I think that's another place where you know circling back to what we talked about augmented reality before mm -hmm. there's a lot to be done to improve the experience of online shows yep. online conferences are doing quite well yeah but online shows you know the best part of the show at least for me is, you know, you happen to meet somebody mm -hmm. walking the aisles or you're both at a booth or they stop by your booth or you stop by their booth. Um, and it, it, I haven't seen any platform that simulates that for a virtual show. Yeah, a virtual show is, is more like a directory or something very, very passive. And I also don't see people saying, okay, today I'll walk the show which is what you do when you go oh, to the show. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's my favorite part, actually, being able to exactly. tangibly see all these things. It's some things that I was wanting to see and some things you come across that you didn't know existed. You didn't even know you like, wanted Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that's a hard, like you're saying, it's a hard thing to pick up. How are you going to see up. that virtually? Yeah. And, I, and I think that maybe if we internalize that these things are here 
And even if we go back to physical shows, they will still have a strong virtual element because there will be pockets geographically that won't be able to travel where they could before. Mm-hmm. And maybe next month it's a different pocket, but it doesn't matter. So you, you will need something virtual. Everything is going digital and virtual. You know, on our, on our um, blog post and on the Leo Lane blog, we, we have a series called Go Digital. Which when we talk about different things that are going digital and and I think that shows are no different they're going to have to figure out how to make this more compelling first of all for the visitor and then for the exhibitor but mm-hmm. it starts from solving the visitor problem because it's not compelling for the visitor to spend time in a virtual show because why I can do it tomorrow mm-hmm. the great thing about a physical show is you can't do it next week it's this week. Yep. And tomorrow, that's it. <laughs> Got to get out there and do it. Yeah. It's, and I mean, there's a, there's also the positivity of that with the virtual, you can revisit things, you know, uh, but you know, that, yeah, 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 you don't get that same uh, personal interaction. Now I know just, uh, you know, it's been wonderful talking to you so far, but you talked a little bit about what's been happening with the uh, Leo Lane in the future. What are some of the, some of the goals coming that you have coming up with Leo Lane? So I think our goal is to collaborate with as many ecosystem players as we can. That's one of our main goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about playing well with others. We, our architecture is built from day one, by the way, mm-hmm. to interface and integrate very, very easily with others. But we need a partner on, on the other side. Mm-hmm. You don't need a lot, but a little bit. So those eight pesky APIs we were talking about yep. before. Um, and so that's one of our goals. Our second goal is, you know, to serve our customers better. And the first one <laughs> serves the second, of course, and the second being the most important one. I think that what customers are wanting more and more is something that's seamless, something that's, as you said, transparent, mm-hmm. you know, not transparent in the sense that it reveals everything, but transparent in the sense that it doesn't bother you when you're working. It is what it is. So our yeah. goal is is to do to give them more of that experience, and and we need number one to achieve uh, number two in a better way. Uh, and so we're working on both of those together. And I think you know the customer is always first, mm-hmm. but I think that in our case, we also give a very very prominent. Uh, position to our partners. Mm. Uh, I think uh, our par- at least, you know, sometimes people are, uh, you know, are nicer to you than they need to be, but it seems that they think we're good partners. And so we want to maintain that. We think that's very important. Uh, and I think it's important for the entire ecosystem. It's not just for us. Mm. And so that makes it, to me, a, a more of a greater good and, and a very worthy thing uh, to do. And of course, it's fascinating to see what customers are using really for it. I think they'll be using it for more yeah. and more applications. Um, one of the fascinating things that, you know, of late, I think is getting a little bit more of a um, spotlight, but didn't get a lot of spotlight like two years ago is tooling. Yes. Um, and we've always seen tooling again. It, it's boring, but it's a great application. And some people, you know, they always want to talk about spare parts and, you know, digital inventory of spare parts. And we're happy to to do that. That's awesome. But don't forget the tooling. Tooling is a wonderful application for additive manufacturing. 
And I always say it's like a gateway drug. Mm. If you start using additive for your tooling, the step to spare parts is easier. That's right. Yeah. Uh, if you jump step. straight to spare parts, it's harder because you, you, um, uh, how do you say this in English? I think you say break your teeth on, on something more difficult, yeah, sure. more visible to your customer if, if anything goes wrong. And while as tooling is much more contained within the organization. So, um, you know, companies don't talk, they do talk about it in certain contexts, but it, there's much more than what people are talking about. So I, you know, if I look to the future, I see those applications deepening, but newer applications coming on top. So, for example, um, turnkey uh, solution providers yep. 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 that could that obviously need security from us, but they can offer the customer an end-to-end solution, just like contract manufacturing does in, in other manufacturing technologies. Right. Again, we just want additive to be another boring manufacturing technology. No, that's that that's would a the holy grail. That's the huge point there, right? Is this like you know we have these machines, and yes, they could make any part in within range, okay? But you've got to kind of lock down what you're building, and then have that application from cradle to grave transparent. You know, people need to know, hey, if I'm building X widget, this is how it's done, and then I could take that and do that. Just that's what you do in manufacturing and machining right now. If I want to build something on a lathe, I could I could have all that set up, and then I take it to another lathe, and I could do the same operation because you know you're building the same widget. In additive, it's a bit different because of the machine setups, the size of the bed, what you know, it's how you're doing your nesting, how you're lining up the part. All those things really have to be locked down. And each application you're doing a little different. Each technology does it a little different. Each material does it a little different. There's so many complicated. Yeah, there's so many parameters. You know, that's another thing that goes in there. That's part of it, but you have to lock those down for the part, for the industry, for the application. And we're seeing everybody start to build, um, you know, their catalog of what that is. And I think the more we have that, the more we could lock in standards, the more we can actually have these processes set up and secured like you're doing and then and use them. Use them like a, a you know, build this. Here's how you build this widget. It's all right here. Exactly. All the Yeah, so that's here's very the important. recipe for it. Just use it. Yeah, that's a, you have a catalog you of recipes. Need to understand yeah. it. You don't need to get into it. Just use it. Yep, that's where it becomes most valuable and then universally used and it's not such a magic behind the scenes happening. It's it's a known process and and that's And it doesn't take so long. That's where we're pushing things, you know, and that's part of manufacturing is to lock in the the process so it's repeatable, you know, and so yeah, that it becomes yeah. more mainstream and it becomes easily available and it becomes something you could distribute to any any place you'd want to do it. So it's there. It's part of that digital thread. It's just locking that down. And that's a huge part of what you're doing at Leo Lane. So I do yep. appreciate that. And your website is is just that. It's leolane.com, L-E-O-L-A-N-E.com. And you talked about the blog that's on. There's a lot of great information. So I'll put that in the description of this particular conversation so people could refer to that. Um, that would be great. We always welcome people to come read the posts, comment. Awesome. Um, Ask us questions. We're happy to share information whenever we can. 
Um, and, and that's another nice thing during uh, COVID. I feel like people are asking for more information. Maybe they have a little bit more time because they're not traveling. So we get more questions. We get more out of the blue questions. Um, and, and, uh, we get more approaches and, uh, and they're very, very welcome. If we can help, we're happy to help. Awesome. I know that uh, we're both going to be at a big conference coming up in January. I saw you're part of the the type conference happening for women in 3D printing. And that's on January 27th and 28th, a TIPE conference, technology, industry, people and economics. So it's going to be good to see you there. I'm a media partner and I'll be part of that event there also in January. Looking forward to that. Wonderful. Looking forward to that. It's been awesome talking to you, Lee. I, I, I can't wait to see you at the Type Conference and uh, definitely check in with you again. But um, I'm glad that Same we met here. and we've talked because it's just been wonderful getting to know you. And I'm looking forward to a lot more from Leah Lane. So thanks again. Thank you. And thanks very much for having me. It was a pleasure. A hundred percent. Thanks again. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the All Digital Additive Manufacturing Podcast. If you would like to help support and be part of our community, take action and smash subscribe, press follow, comment below, or leave a review. And don't forget to share. Thanks for continuing the conversation. This is Adam Penna signing off. See you soon.